Mark 12, verse 1 to 12, and it can be found in the Church Bibles on page 1578. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the winepress, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him, because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Katie, for reading that so well for us. And as you've already um, heard, my name is Hendre, and it's um, my real privilege to be able to um, be up here one last time with you all. And I couldn't think of a better way to end our time together but for me to wear um, the Unley uniform. <laughs> if, if you were with us um, during the Zoom period of church, there was about an 80% chance that a male on screen would be in a blue checked shirt on any given Sunday, so it seemed fitting before I have to figure out what they do at my land. But (laughs) in all seriousness, it is a great privilege to be able to open up God's word with you all um, one last time, at least for now. I don't know what traditions you guys have um, over the holidays, but I'd have it as a bet that there's a fair number of you that have enjoyed some family movie nights over the Christmas period. Statistically, at least, um, the average Australian adult spends about a month a year watching TV, which is slightly frightening, but it's not too bad because a fair portion of that is when people are sleeping on the couch while the cricket's on. But, but the bulk of this is still fiction is entertainment. We love stories. We love stories to help us to escape our reality, to imagine a far-off, better world, um, or just to explore strange and wonderful concepts. But stories aren't anything new by any stretch of the imagination. And for those of you who are still on the younger end 
And they even used to have stories in um, these old scripture things called books um, back in the day before Netflix and things were around. Um, and so today, we see an example of that in um, the parable of the tenants. Parables are a means of storytelling and are short stories which have been used to illustrate an instructive point. It's like a super long metaphor, if you will. In the biblical context, at least, they were often also a means of communicating in a veiled manner, revealing a truth to some while others remained in the dark. And as we just had read to us, this morning, we are looking at the opening portion of Mark chapter 12. What a cheery way for us to bring in the new year. I don't know what you were expecting when you walked into church this morning, um, but I imagine many of you came in feeling weary from a busy Christmas period, weary from maybe a late night last night, or even just tired of, at the thought of another new year and work or studies returning soon. Whatever that might be, I doubt at first sight of the reading that you are filled with joy and excitement as you are met with abusive tenants, violence, and murder. Happy New Year. <laughs> but this passage of Mark, despite its brutal initial appearance, is actually a beautiful portion of God's word from which we can take great comfort as we head into this new year. And as we make our way through this passage, I hope we might all be reminded of our amazing God's goodness, his grace, and his glory. And if you were handed a leaflet on your way in, there's a sermon outline in there, which it might be helpful if you're someone that likes to take notes, um, or for those of you who have not yet experienced a book, if you keep that open, I'll keep referring back to the passage on page 1,578, uh, Mark chapter 12, if you want to keep that open as well. So God's goodness. Now, I have to be honest with you guys. Jess and I are far from being good gardeners. The only thing we have planted that I can actually say is sort of flourishing is a jasmine we planted when we first moved into our place. And honestly, it's by God's good grace because we water it somewhere between once every six months to a year, if we remember. And all the other plants we have in our house and outside look sort of like what you'd imagine a plant would look like after you strapped it to your roof rack on an interstate trip. Now, I have no doubt that many, if not all of you, are more of a green thumb than I am. But I doubt many of you have gone to the extents we saw in this parable. If you look with me at verse 1, Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the winepress, and built a watchtower. It would have been pretty clear to Jesus' audience that this vineyard was a reference to Israel. And that the owner of this vineyard, therefore, was God. The same illustration, the same allegory, in fact, is used in Isaiah 5, verses 1 to 7, 
And pretty clearly there in verse 7, it says, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. Again, this imagery is used in Psalms, and where we see this used to depict an, an account of God's rescue of his people from Egypt. In Psalm 80, verses 8 and 9, it says, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove, the nation, you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. Jesus wanted his hearers to under, ex, understand the extreme length this landowner went to. He planted this vine. He put a fence around it to protect it. He dug a pit and made a wine press for it. The owner was obviously concerned for its protection. In his addition of a fence and a watchtower, the owner did everything that he could, everything necessary for this vineyard to flourish. It was intended to be productive. You can almost picture his joy as he sets this up. He went over and above. Every provision was made so that they could be prosperous. And our God, too, planted a vineyard in the nation of Israel, as we read in Psalms. God did all that was necessary to plant Israel, to provide for her, to protect her, to rescue her out of the nation of Egypt and lead her to the promised land. God gave them everything they needed to prosper and to produce food, fruit. And I'd say for the vast majority of us, God has been very kind in his provision and care for us. The privilege we have as people living in Australia, the level of prosperity, political peace, and religious freedom we experience, although it might feel normal to, for us, is the abnormality in a global picture. Yet it is so easy for us to take that for granted. We have a God who is good, who provides for us both in ordinary means, but also in extraordinary ones. And as we close the chapter on 2022, I would like to encourage you this afternoon or in the public holiday tomorrow when you have no plans to set some time aside to reflect on where you've seen God's goodness in your own life in the past year. No doubt there'll be seasons in this coming year where it is hard for you to see or to remember his goodness. And so I'd encourage you to even write down some of those instances that you recall so that you could look back on them when it becomes harder. God's grace. So where we saw God's goodness in the establishment of the vineyard in verse 1, we now see his grace in verses 2 to 6. Having constructed this vineyard, the owner leased it to tenants and went away. Now, this was common practice in those days, and, 
and the owner would often receive 30 to 50% of the crops from the harvest. It was an arrangement whereby the tenants didn't bear all the risks of that investment, or they didn't have the capital, where the owner bore a bunch of the risk, but they shared in the fruit. And so when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenant to collect some of the fruit from the vineyard, to collect his portion. God expected this vineyard to bear fruit for his glory. God, in fact, has always expected fruit from those he places in his garden. He expects his tenants, whom he cares for, to bring forth the fruit of righteousness. He expected it with Israel, and he now expects it of his church. But when it was that time, when the time came, the owner sent a servant to the tenants to get from them the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants did not do as the master wished. Instead, as we read in verse 3, they seized the servant, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another servant to them, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent yet another and they killed him. And so he went on with many others, some whom they beat and some who they killed. From this point on, the story is looking pretty ugly. These tenants are defying the request of the owner are refusing to give him what he's entitled to and instead are behaving as if they are the owners themselves. They had rejected his authority. These servants are an image of the prophets which God sent to Israel time and time again to call them back to covenant faithfulness, calling them back to the way of bearing fruit. But just as these tenants rejected the servants and turned them away, so time and time again, Israel ignored the word of God that came by his prophets. Hebrews 11, 36 to 37 summarizes some of the treatment the prophets experienced. It says, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Having shown grace to these tenants time and time again, not retaliating, but instead sending another so they might have a chance to respond appropriately. You would think the landowner has had enough, that it's time to send in the infantry or to just count his losses and walk away. 
everyone listening would have expected the landowner to intervene, and he would have been justified in doing so. But instead, we see in verse 6, but he had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But, as we saw, they saw his son and decided instead, in verse 7, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. It is presumed that they understood that the son coming meant the father had passed, and so if they got rid of the rightful heir, they could claim this vineyard for himself. They left the son, threw him out, leaving him unburied, dead, in shame. Similarly, God, having faced rejection at the hand of Israel, through the prophets, did not give up, did not wipe out Israel or turn his back on her. But as the ultimate attempt of reconciliation and restoration, sent his son which we remembered over Christmas. But just as the son of the landowner was killed in shame, so too Jesus here predicts his death and the rejection by those for whom he came. But even so, our God showed grace. Our God is good and he is gracious. And that leads us to the third truth, which is God will always get his glory. Jesus turns and asks a pretty probing questions of his own audience. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Not satisfied that they'll come to the right conclusion for themselves, he answers his own question. He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. In case it wasn't already clear enough what he was referring to, he continues, have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus was calling the religious leaders out for their rejection of him. Their rejection of the one whom God had decided to use as the cornerstone for his church, whom they disregarded. And in a matter of only days would ultimately kill, as alluded to here. The Jewish leaders, the builders, determined Jesus was not from the right place, the right family, did not have the right education or standing, but God took his son and made him the cornerstone of the church. This rejection looks like a dismal end. But in the greatest plot reversal, 
in any movie, we see that the victory was secure, that God's glory was always going to come. God was going to be victorious through the resurrection of his son. And so while the chief priests here fled in fear, Christ knew what was to come and had certainty that his father would be victorious. And so as we look ahead at another year, as we look ahead at a year in a country that is quickly and rapidly ever more turning its back on its Christian roots or Christian tendencies, let us not be afraid or discouraged thinking that defeat is imminent, but rather let us look back on the goodness of our God. Let us remember how many countless times he has shown grace to his people. And let us remember that his victory is secure and certain, even when we might feel discouraged. Let us give thanks to him and give him the glory which he deserves. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage in which Although brutal seeming, we are reminded of your faithful provision for your people throughout history. God, we are so blessed materially here in Australia, but you knew our greater need, our need for salvation and restoration to you. God, we thank you that despite our rejection of you and our rejection of those you sent to do your work, that you did not give up on us, that you did not lose heart, but that you gave us the greatest gift in your Son. God, we thank you that despite knowing the rejection he would face, that Christ endured onto the cross, that he took our place so that we might be reconciled to you. God, we pray that you would help us, help only to be a vineyard bearing fruit, a people who are quick to hear your correct, correcting and your prompting from the Spirit. And God, we pray that you would help us in this year ahead when we might feel weary and dismayed to not lose hope and to not lose heart, but to remember that we serve a God who is good, who is gracious, and who will receive all glory. Amen.